Welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. For anyone who wants to make money and make a difference, grow and leverage your enterprise better, get more done in less time, outsource everything and create your ideal lifestyle. And now, your host, eight times best-selling author and double world record holder, Rob Moore. Hi, it's Rob Moore here. Welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. Now, uh, I've just had a great interview with the lady who founded Coffee Republic, uh, Sahar Hashemi. And I've decided to do the intro after the interview because she had to rush off. She came and did a speaking gig for us and then kindly gave us about 40 minutes of an interview when she only had 20 minutes. And also I wanted to set the scene for you because I think it was, it's been very different, this interview, to others. As you know, I always want to disrupt and make the content and information different to you. So the first thing you'll notice is this is a very much more random, faster-paced interview. Now, Sahar said to me at the start that she didn't want to talk about all the usual stuff. She didn't want me to go and say, hey, how did you set up Coffee Republic? Because that's what every interviewer asks her. So she kind of challenged me to ask different questions. I also wanted to let her control the interview and talk about the things she was really interested in, but also stoke the fire a little bit. So back in the 90s, 1995, she set up Coffee Republic. Now, I read her book, Anyone Can Do It, in 2006. So it's great that a lot of these famous authors that I've read their books that helped me get started, I'm now interviewing on the podcast. She turned it from a zero bedroom startup. In fact, she had to go back to her mum's house and go back and live at home. She set it up with her brother and it got to a turnover of 30 million. She sold it for 50 million. Now she doesn't talk too much about that. And do you know what? I'm quite glad about that because you could go and find loads of interviews on her Coffee Republic career. But she talks a lot more about what she's doing now and her passions in business and her vision and her social enterprises and you know her kind of top tips for being a disruptive entrepreneur, her addiction to starting up. And I think you'll relate a lot to all of the parts of her journey. Also, I definitely recommend you go and get her books when they're recommended on the podcast. I think you'll love them too. So I hope you enjoy this very different, fast-paced interview with the founder of Coffee Republic, Sahar Hashemi. Sahar, thanks for joining the podcast. It's great for you to be here. Now, we had a quick chat before and you said you don't really want to talk so much about Coffee Republic and kind of your um, past business experience. So I'll be led by you. Why don't you tell us what you're doing uh, business-wise now? Uh, well, business-wise now, a couple of stuff, quite a lot of stuff, actually. Um, well, my kind of on the commercial side, I think I'm involved, very exciting, in a social enterprise called Change Please Coffee. Okay. And Change Please Coffee started by this incredible guy who basically um, thought with homeless people, what, you know, instead of just setting the big issue, why don't we train them up to be baristas right. and run coffee carts? So at the moment, actually, tomorrow morning, we're opening the fourth coffee cart around London. Oh, wow. And yeah, and you basically um, pay them the kind of London living wage, get them housing once they get a job, and then after that, they can move on. But it's very exciting because I was sort of looking for something exciting in the coffee space, and I've always loved that. Yeah. And I wasn't sort of that excited about what's going on at the moment, generally, in the in the sort of coffee area. There was nothing I thought that innovative. But yeah. I think the idea that instead of buying your coffee from a big company, but also... But, Actually, you know, sort of slogan is change where you buy your coffee, change your life. Right. And I think it's quite huge because we all spend so much on coffee every day. We need to. It's like an addiction almost, isn't it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So if you spend that somewhere where you can actually change your life, right. and you're changing someone's life and giving Creating someone employment confidence. For yeah. yeah. 
and um, why not? So I'm really excited by it and I'm excited to grow it. So, um, but it keeps me incredibly busy. Yeah. And then my second thing, I'm just uh, finishing Startup Forever, which is my third book. Right. And I it's don't the know book why taking I forever. Books. Oh my God. They always do, don't yeah, they? Yeah. yeah. And it just, and you're like, why do I do it? And it's almost yeah. like, I'm out really busy and then I'm like, oh my God, like a child, I've got to do homework. Oh my yeah. God. I've so I've almost written it. So now I just got to go through the little details now. Right. And so that's Startup Forever. Yeah. Which I'm really excited about. Are you right? Is it called Startup Forever because you keep starting businesses up all the time? What is it um, like? No, no, Startup Forever is about the fact that I think that before there was a startup and there was a big traditional company or sort of big legacy company, yeah. you know, so companies sort of started as a startup and then they grew along the timeline and they became a sort of legacy right. traditional company. But I think that was fine back then, but now the level of disruptive change is such that the pace of it, I think, is such that it's not that timeline anymore. Yeah. Every company, however big, needs to think like a startup because right, it needs yeah. to have the agility, the opportunistic sort of point of view of a startup, the constantly sort of looking externally the way a startup does, moving fast and, you know, constantly innovating and being creative. So that's startup forever as in everyone has to be startup forever. You don't graduate from being a startup to a big company or a traditional company. Yeah, right. So do you want to tell us a bit more about what's in that book? Yeah, so that book is basically some sort of habits I've learned because I started Coffee Republic and we were very much a startup and very much kitchen table. You started out with your brother, didn't you? Yeah, exactly. That back must have in been fun. yeah, that was that was fun. That was great. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And we started in 1995 and genuinely from my mum's kitchen table. Yeah, and we did some things, you know, to start a business, like every entrepreneur does, as as Damon Eterodic once told me. Your story is the same. We all have the same story. Every yeah. startup has the same story. Yeah. And I never realized that all the things we did was things that come naturally in a startup because you've got an idea in your head yeah. and you're turning it into reality. And you've got, so no, said, money. You got no money. You've got no money. Yeah, you've got no never resources. Done it before. No Everyone idea. tells you you're an idiot. Yeah. Everyone tells you you're an idiot. So you end up behaving in a certain way. You end up using certain tools that you innately have, but yeah. you have to use them because you haven't got the luxury of anything else. Yeah. And it's like survival out there and you end up doing the certain habits. Yeah. But when your company gets bigger, you don't need to do this stuff anymore. So you stop doing them. Yeah. So you stop doing what you've done before. You stop repeating what you've done. And I think that's that's really, sort of really what I learned because I saw that this little startup we had from my mom's kitchen table became a big company. And yeah. we hired people from big companies because we were a very attractive company to work for. And when you hire people from big companies, basically it's sort of, um, you know, they stop bringing in that sort of big company culture. Yeah. And I just literally remember thinking, gosh, this is so different than how we operate. These people yeah. think completely differently. I can't believe they're telling me that before we do something, we have to do like a million forms and this is the process. And yeah. why are they not trying something? Why do I have to wait till the next ops meeting to go and bring it up and yeah. for everyone to discuss it and present it before we just try it, just sure. put it out of the store and try it. And so that's what I learned about what was really fundamentally so different about a startup and a sort of legacy company, I suppose. Yeah. I think in my book I've called the BLC big legacy companies right. versus a startup. So yeah, yeah so the, 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 I've kind of really sort of highlighted, I, I don't know whether I'm going to call them laws, but definitely not habits. Yeah. I think there are about 10 of them right. that I think startups do and um, sort of yeah. BLCs can copy. Yeah. One thing I um, really feel when you're a startup, you do because you have to do that when you are a grown up, you don't do is be resourceful. It's like, you know, when you're, when you're grown up, you spend all your budget and you waste a load of it. When you start, you've got to do all the free marketing. Absolutely, you're on all the social, yeah. you set up every single social media account, all the free Absolutely. ones. You tap Absolutely. up your friends, your family, all of that. And a lot of that resourcefulness goes when you start to get a bit successful, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, 
Well, that's exactly funny enough. Um, earlier when I was speaking, I talked about um, one of the habits there is called, I call it bootstrapping. Right, yeah. And bootstrapping is actually, I think, my own personal definition. I think I'm going to invent the Oxford Dictionary. Um, I'm calling it the extreme resourcefulness. Yeah. And um, that is because you've got lack of resources. Yeah. You have to be creative. You have to do it. And I saw that when we were at our least creative, when we had more money. Yeah. I just because then you rely on the money instead of the creativity. Yeah. You yeah. just you get you step back. You're Ooh. not sucking every single thing you've got out of what you've got and yeah. making it happen. And you actually become really. It's like a really bad habit mm. that when you've got money, you just step back and you just don't have that same energy you had when you had no money. You had to be extremely resourceful. So. This idea of extreme resourcefulness, but you know, I mean, um, the example I use there is Google. You know, when they Google Wave, apparently they, you know, Google has so much money, so they could put all their might behind it, and it was a disaster. And mm. they said it was the reason it was disaster because they had too many resources. Yeah. They didn't think lean in a lean way. So their motto is scarcity breeds clarity, and I think that's kind of scarcity. And so if you're not scarce, if you're lucky enough not to be in a position of scarcity, you need to consciously adopt that, consciously restrict budget so people are resourceful. Yeah. It's funny, you know, um, listening to you talk about resourcefulness and, you know, you've had Coffee Republic, you had um, the candy company, didn't you? You're now starting a, this social enterprise and it almost seems like you're a glutton for punishment for putting yourself back yeah. in the startup phase. Is that just a, the, the way you like to be? Yes, yeah, funny enough. I mean, I just kind of, what I've learned actually is that I think, you know, out of our comfort zone, it's a bit of a cliche, but... We all get into comfort zone, into a sort of routine. And I think life's quite boring because I've been in it and I've been out of it. And I can now certifiably say that it is much more fun out of your comfort zone. Yeah. And when, you know, in a way, was it Steve Jobs, the sex, you know, sort of success is not a good teacher. You know yeah. how it is. It's yeah. sort of it's sort of quite boring. And yeah. life and youth and living is all about sort of challenging yourself. Yeah. And having a project, you know, I love it when I get up and I've got something new to do. It just gives me such energy i think yeah, yeah. it's funny because i mean i am um, i often like to obviously this podcast is called the disruptive entrepreneur and that's kind of um i'm quite well known for that but i was thinking about this today i like variety in my life and just when things are comfortable and normal and going well there seems to be a part of my brain that disrupts it on purpose absolutely yeah completely I think um, I think when you get it's used bit, to that, when no, you're it's used a bit of masoch- to that, masochism, isn't it? Yeah. Like, well, no, or it's kind of you know. I mean, I just I mean, I'm sort of terrorized by my own boredom and by yeah. not you know kind of, and but it's just tremendously exciting. And I yeah. think you know it's about learning as well because mm. every time you try to do something new, often you're in uncharted territory, so you're yeah. learning. And I think that's just lovely. I think mm. it, you know that's why it's sort of I think it's better than a hobby. I enjoy it more than a yeah. hobby. I mean, work is my hobby in a way. Yeah. Is there a danger you could be a bit too disruptive though and you you know you could start, stop, start, stop, start, stop? Have you had any periods in your life maybe in business where maybe you thought, oh, I should have kept that company going a bit longer or I'm changing too oh, much? Gosh, well, I mean, that's my biggest one is obviously getting out of Coffee Republic was I kind of, it's just, it was a huge mistake. You know, we started in 1995 and um, sold it in 2001. And Are I thought you allowed to great. talk about how much you sold it for, is it? Um, it was a public company, so yeah. really I kind of sold my shares and bits at that yeah. time. We had a turnover of 30 million. Yeah. And we were, but then went on the stock exchange by the time we sold at 50 million. Yeah. And I just thought, oh, great, you know, dream come true. And you start a business five years later, you're out of it. Yeah. But I just really missed it. And mm. it just dawned on me the very next day. What a mistake I'd made. Was it like the very next day? Yeah. Even though you had the money in the bank? Yeah, because I remember going past the Coffee Republic. And I said, to my, oh, look, that's quite perfect. And a friend of mine in the taxi said to me, oh, you mustn't look at it anymore because it's nothing to do with you. Yeah. And that was like a little pain in my heart. I remember right. thinking, 
And I think a lot of entrepreneurs now that I've interviewed it and I've read a lot about it very much feel that. Yeah. There's a real kind of connection, you know, because you're doing something you absolutely love doing. So yeah. why would you not do something you absolutely love doing? So if I did it again, my brother just started a very successful pizza business and he just wants to keep it close to his heart. And yeah. most entrepreneurs I speak to who've got the wisdom, I think that we didn't have, like to keep their businesses close because you're doing it again, as I said, like a hobby. So it's not really about the money. Yeah. It's funny, it's like, because I, um, as I was having a shave before I came in, I always like to just think in random places. It doesn't look like places. you've had a shave. No, no, just the neck. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I was thinking, did you sell because you had a strategy or did you feel like that was your baby and it was hard to see, you know, VCs and other people coming in and changing the way your company was formed? So were your businesses like your babies or, or were you like a lot of these sort of um, Silicon Valley startups that like they're only starting to sell to Google in yeah, three yeah, years' yeah, time? Yeah, yeah. no, I, I don't know. You know, kind of, I mean, I admire people who have that started business to sell and manage to sell. My kind of point is I think a business is only successful if you're really passionate about it, you absolutely yeah. love it. And no, we, you know, we just, it was sort of stupidity really for us to sell because it was during the whole dot-com boom and yeah. we thought everyone sells and right. we just weren't educated. And I think, you know, the people we had around us, I think the non-execs we had should have said, actually, hang on a minute, you sure you want to do this? Yeah. But you know, the kind of, this is before the days of Google again, I sort yeah. of say that. There wasn't that much reading around, like you'd no, go and a book, and you know there wasn't that much books about entrepreneurship. So yeah, you no was. One I read said, yours in two thousand six. Did you? Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. But that's why I read that because no one ever told their story. You know, yeah. there was the Richard Branson myth. Yeah. But then there wasn't really other stories. Like there was, there was really literally not a single book on entrepreneurship. I remember finding like a remote one from sort of the kind of Harvard Business Review one on entrepreneurship. It wasn't that much stuff around at that time. Yeah. Okay, so let's go back to the day after you sold Coffee Republic. The money's in the bank, but you feel like, ugh. So tell us how you felt and why you felt like it. Well, I felt just very empty, you know, because I felt like kind of, I mean, I started my life as a lawyer and I wasn't able to be myself. And so I had that kind of very much go to work, put yourself, you know, outside, put your emotional baggage, who you yeah. are. If you love to travel like me and you understand the power in escaping the money for time exchange trap, but you just don't know how to do it, then building an Airbnb consultancy business could be exactly what you have been looking for. Right now in the UK, there is a completely untapped opportunity through helping struggling Airbnb hosts by turning around their underperforming properties and generating you huge commission payments in the process. We are going to teach you all of the tools and all of the techniques that we've learned over the last five years through building our very own multiple six-figure Airbnb business, arming you with everything that you need to swoop in and save the day. Minimal startup costs, zero risk, and almost unlimited potential. Sound good? Welcome to the Airbnb Consultant. Contact us through any of the channels included in the studio notes to get the conversation started. on the work face, hate it, do it nine to five, can't wait to reconnect with yourself. Right. And suddenly I was like, oh my God, but work and life were just like all one. Yeah. So when I left work, it was like I cut a part of myself off really. Yeah. Because it was something I loved doing. It connected, it was like a sort of, if I can say it was like a creative outlet. Yeah. And in 110 stores and, you know, we're sort of learning and new doing and suddenly yeah. you cut yourself off and all you've got is money in the bank. It's absolutely yeah. meaningless. Yeah. And that's what I've learned. That its work is about kind of want to be philosophical, but it's about doing something you absolutely love every day. And yeah. I think the money is a side effect of that, but that's yeah. fundamentally why you do things. 
Because why would you want money? Because actually it's only there to make you happy. And, yeah. yeah, it's funny because there's like an irony or a dichotomy, you know, maybe as entrepreneurs we want money so we can have freedom, but then when we have freedom we have boredom, so then we go and start up a business yeah, yeah, and we're yeah. excited and passionate, but it's lean and we haven't got much money. It's yeah, yeah, like, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I think because once you've done it once, you sort of get more confidence and yeah. you realise what you're missing out on. Mm. Can we go back to what Dame Anita Roddick said to you? Yeah. Uh, could you just remind me, did she, just so I, I want to, I'm paraphrasing, I want to get it right. Did you say that she said that we're basically all going through the same thing when we start a business? Yeah, it's exactly the same experience. Yeah. Everyone has exactly, and that's why it kind of, I put it in Startup Forever, everyone thinks in the same way. Most yeah. entrepreneurs, they're like, oh my God, but that's the same story. I can't even yeah. believe it. I've so, read so many books yeah. and it's just like, oh my God, like it's the same thing. Yeah, I think that's really important to talk about because um, I think a lot of entrepreneurs feel alone. Yeah. You know, like they've got to solve all the problems on their own. They're doing all this stuff they don't know on their own. They're probably on their own, literally, physically, you know, in their bedroom or their little office. And I've really recently started to shout out to all those people to say, you're not alone. There's books. There's people who've done it before. Everyone who starts a business, you go through the same stuff. Yeah, like yeah, I said, yeah, yeah. Bootstrapping, not knowing if it's going to work. Can you pay your mortgage? All these fears. Are there any anything else you can say to people who are feeling alone in business or entrepreneurship? Yeah, I, I mean, that's why it kind of... I think it's good to read those business biographies. You know, you've got a whole library mm. here. That's why it's out there. And that's why people know the story that you realise actually it's not, you know, they've done it. I mean, I kind of use an example if, you know, we think of like James Dyson. You know, I always assume James Dyson like a genius. Yeah. He had an epiphany and he came up with a Dyson yeah. and he's a billionaire and it's just like... Yeah, just like that. It <laughs> touches everything gold. Yeah. And I just was kind of sharing it earlier. Like he did 5,000, I think 127 prototypes of yeah. that kind of, of the Dyson, 5,000. He ate into millions of his own money, didn't Premier. he? Was, yeah. He started in 1979. So imagine what he was going through, 1979, 79, 80, 81, yeah. you know, 90. We didn't see the Dysons in 1997. So, mm. you know, it must have been a pretty lonely journey with him mm. playing around with bits of loot paper and sticking up, like, something that yeah. was going to replace the traditional sort of hoover as we mm. knew it. So that's the thing. When you see those stories, you realise, my God, it's, it's through hardship that, People make it, and yeah. greatness is coming through that, I think. And mm. and I'm always reading that stuff, and you just can't get enough of it. And mm. I'm always like, fun up with my brother, we're always sharing stuff, you know, yeah. read that. You know, I just recently read The Shoe, Shoe Dog, uh, Bill Knight, great book. Oh, right, is that about um, Nike? Nike, yeah, yeah amazing yeah. book. I'm waiting for it to come journey. out in audio, and then I'll Oh, really? Get it. Oh, yeah, you see, I'm like, yeah. I just yeah. read that. Like, that's just amazing what people have been through, what rejections they get, you know. But I think that's what's great yeah. about reading, reading all those stories out there. Yeah. I'm re going to release a podcast in the near future on business serendipity and I was doing some research and Stephen King and I think it was Carrie the book and I think it was about 350 rejections something like that yeah and he threw the book in the bin and his wife took the book out of the bin and said no 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 no, no give it another go really yeah, yeah Harrison yeah, yeah. Ford he was in a film that was directed by Lucas George Lucas before the big first Star Wars and Lucas liked him but didn't want him didn't want to cast him for Star Wars and um, he happened to be doing carpentry on set when they were casting for Han Solo and just stood up and gave it a go. My God, that's And then he got amazing. Han Solo. Really? And that, obviously, that is the defining moment in his career. And it's like, when I think most people glorify and romanticise entrepreneurship. Like you said, like the Dyson or the, or the Richard Branson, we think, oh, wow, everything they touch turns to gold. But no, all of them were that close to failure. Goodness knows how many times absolutely, before they absolutely. did this. So if, if, if that's not a, an example to just keep going. Absolutely. And it really is about keep going. You, just, you mm. can be so close 
And you just don't keep going, yeah. I think. Yeah. And it's, it's the ones that we hear about, the ones that kept going. I of think. course. Yeah. And the, many of the others fall by the wayside. They, yeah. You never know at what point you gave up. Yeah. Yeah. But then if you go, get, give up in one model, start another one. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we make mistakes. We all make mistakes. As long yeah. as you pick yourself up again, you know, yeah. there's no guarantee against that. But you just keep going again, I yeah. think. Yeah. So Eventually you get there. What's it like working with family? How did you find that? I loved it. Yeah. I mean, I think family is, there's family, there's like family. So I think working with my brother was great because there's no politics and, you know, we kind yeah. of, we always say we were so sort of trained in, in, in the sort of playground. Yeah. You know, you're sort of used to one minute, like hitting each other and next minute, like <laughs> you're fine, you know, sort of, you know, hey, yeah. how are you? But kind of, I'm not sure I can work with my husband. I'm yeah. Not sure, I, yeah, I, I, I admire couples who, who do it, I must say. Yeah. That's, I think, a different different dynamic. But I love, yeah, I had, I mean, I think it depends on your family dynamic, but I adored working with my brother, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah. And how long did you study to get, did you get your law degree? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So how yeah, long was worked, you study? Uh, well, I studied for, what well, sort of, I got a degree three years and then one extra year to qualify. And yeah. I was a lawyer. I was, I was um, for, you know, five years in a law firm. So you did law for nine years. Yeah. And then one day you jacked it all in yeah. to go and set up in a coffee business. Yeah. Wow. I mean, is that is that courage or is that craziness? That is, um, at the beginning, I think a lot of people thought craziness. Yeah. But... You know, at the end of the day, I just kind of, I just learned with law. I don't think I was a good lawyer, to be honest with you. You don't? No. Oh, okay. No, because I wasn't enjoying it and it just wasn't coming naturally. I remember other people sort of that I started with doing my training because you do two years of training and they were sort of flourishing. Mm. And I just felt I wasn't really flourishing. Like I wasn't really doing, you know, it just didn't come naturally. Yeah. And thank God I left because I always think if I'd stayed a lawyer, I think I would have been quite a mediocre lawyer and I would have thought I'm quite a mediocre person. Right. And thank God I actually... Yeah sort of leapt to the other side because I would have just stayed thinking I'm mediocre because I am a mediocre lawyer. And my big point about life, Rob, is that, and the advice I try to give younger people, is that actually everyone is a star somewhere. Everyone, you know, everyone. And your job in life is to find where you're really good at and try to stick to that as much as possible. And, you know, so I just don't believe that, that someone's just mediocre. It's just not possible. Everyone shines in some area. And the key is that you find where you shine and you just make sure that you can make a livelihood out to where you shine mm. or as close as possible to where you shine. And, and it's true. That's the advice I give to everyone around me mm. who's younger. So actually thinking about you answering that question, because at first I was like, mm, maybe that's quite a risk, you know, nine, nine years in law. But it sounds like it would have been an even bigger risk for you to stay in law. And it wasn't really a risk because you knew in your heart yeah. what you had to do. Yeah, and I kind of, I think kind of, I wouldn't even, I think there's that sort of idea of risk is sort of a bit, I don't know what risk, I mean, I think it's a bit sort of, people mistake risk with gambling, I think, you know. I just think it, was, it wasn't much of a risk, you know, as far as I was concerned. I mean, it was, you know, I kind of probably couldn't go back into the law. So I suppose, yeah, you're right. Maybe, maybe it was. But if you'd have really wanted to, you could have done that, couldn't you? You might have had to start a bit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, everything's a risk. I mean, you know, kind of. I recently interviewed the direct, the head of EMEA for LinkedIn, and he was saying that they part of people's portfolio is to have take intelligent risks, and you know, kind of people have to sort of say what kind of risk they take. And he's like, you know, the thing about risk is, you know, every day when we get up is a bloody risk, isn't mm. it? I'm just about to go down the motorway. That's a risk. Yeah. You know, everything's just everything is a risk. Mm. So this, people have people start sort of you know put risk on a pedestal. Yeah. Every day we're risking everything. Every yeah. Time, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's true. And um, if someone's listening and they're in a similar position to where you were, they're young, you know, they've, they've proven they can get a degree. 
what's the worst thing that's going to happen is you're going to try something you love, yeah. it's going to fail, you're going to learn loads, you're going to have given it a try, and then you're going to go back Completely. and get a job. How's that risk? I mean, that's a life experience, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I kind of start always sharing with people my, my main motto in life is leap and then that will appear. Yeah. And I believe this because I remember like when I was about to start a business, I kind of thought, actually, we're all on this edge of this cliff. It's like a serious cliff. And either I could sit there just looking across, thinking, oh, my God, that is like, oh, my God, look at that fall. You know, look at those rocks underneath. Forever looking at that. Or I could just bloody jump and just not even look. Mm. And I sort of took that decision once and I did it and it was fine. And then I did it again, it was fine. And then now I just don't even think about it. I just, I just jump into things. Mm. And that's the thing to remember because it's really scary at the edge of that cliff looking to see where you can fall to doing your pros and cons. Really scary that. But, you know, having said that, you know, something I say in my book and this whole idea about failure is you want to minimize the risk of you want to minimize the price of failure. So you keep stuff small. You don't risk the whole house. You know, yeah. so I always say, you know, someone who's basically got a heavy mortgage, three kids out at school. You see what I mean? It's mm. just you got to you got to see where you're minimized because you put too much pressure on yourself. So it's about seeing at what point you can minimize. So a lot of people want to start a business. I tell them, for example, keep your job, try to do it you know, yeah. moonlight. Mm. See if then take the leap. Once you're like, okay, do you know what? I've got the money in place. I can pay my bills through this. You know. Yeah. So in a way, you want to kind of like make it as small as possible, so mm. you're not betting the house. I think yeah. that's really important to remember. Mm. And people mistake that, you know, kind of the idea of risk. I mean, an entrepreneur, as you know, just you're always trying to minimise the risk, really. Yeah, yeah, because there's a big difference between, you know, de-risking and protecting the downside and then making a big decision. Exactly. And then exactly. just going all yeah. in on a bet. Yeah, on a, a gambling, you know, yeah. so I think it's like gambling versus risk-taking. And risk-taking often is, you want to think about it, you know, you know, I mean, with my brother and I, when we started that business, we were quite young. We actually moved back home. You know, we had mortgages on our yeah. flats. We were paying, one was paying rent, the other was paying mortgage. And we actually thought, well, we can't afford that. So we moved back home. It yeah. was pretty humiliating moving at home back with your mum when mm. you're in your But then you have 20s. no overhead. No overhead. Yeah. And you if, know, you, so if I kind you work of a lot, you can't pride, even... You know, kind of live with home, kind of live with your mum and, you know, kind yeah. of. But you just do it. So that yeah. therefore, that was, you know, obviously there was not this gun against our head that, oh, my God, you know, they're kind of, they're going to start foreclosing on what you've got. So, But for everyone, there is a way of kind of making it not gambling, if you see what I mean. Mm. But, but, you know, that otherwise... Is that natural gambling we're saying we do every day in life anyway? Yeah. So we talked about Coffee Republic and you selling it, and then like the day after, hangover and a come down. But then didn't you go and do it again? Set up another company and sell that? Yeah. 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 Um, kind of, but funny enough, yes, exactly. That's like, it, it, it's a funny one. The other one I did was Skinny Candy, was I did it on a much smaller level. Right. And uh, funny enough, I never really fell in love with it the way I fell in love with Coffee Republic because I think you only get to know an idea as it kind of develops, really. And that was this idea of sugar-free sweets. And I think halfway through, I mean, I basically ended up sending it to a big confectionery company, but yeah. I realized that actually, if you want to have chocolate, you sort of want to have chocolate. Right, so that was a different experience. Yeah. It was something that, almost like a hybrid between coffee and law, where it was like, it was a business and it was a passion, you started it up, but it turned into something that maybe wasn't your passion. Yeah. So you are kind yeah. of okay selling it. Yes, exactly. And that, that was kind of a big company and they, they they were going to sort of take it somewhere, which then they get they got bought in the downturn. But anyway, yeah. that was yeah. But now I'm I'm just excited about the social. Enterprise. I I love I you know I really miss coffee. I love that. I love the sort of consultancy work I do with big companies. And therefore, my book and 
Yeah, I'm just kind of mm. chairing a government task force, which I've got no idea how to do, but that's starting on Tuesday on right. scaling up businesses yeah. in this country. You sound like you love going into the unknown. There's yeah. a common theme there, isn't there? I don't yeah. know what I'm doing, but I love it. Yeah. Jump off a cliff, but I love it. Complete. That's exactly And I, I know myself because yeah. I've had both. And I just know that I'm much happier when I'm doing the unknown stuff. When a tiny bit nervous, I quite like that. When mm. I'm a tiny bit apprehensive, yeah. which is why I like speaking in yes. a way. Every time I speak, and I'm sure you're the same, you just got to be on the ball. And yeah. I, I really enjoy that. And I remember when I finished school, I was really nervous because I used to think, oh, um, you know, I really missed that idea that when you had exams, you were nervous and then it would finish. Yeah. And I sort of, it's almost like a high. It's like yeah. awful to say that. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's also a sign that it matters and it means something to you. I mean, I, yeah. like yourself, I've done, That's a, right. I've That's done right. a lot of speaking and um, I kind of said to myself, if I just walk up there like I own it and I'm never nervous, I should probably stop. Yes, absolutely. Because I, I still do get those little... Absolutely, because you, you, that's the thing. It's just something that challenges you, I think. And I think, you know, it is. We are at our best outside our comfort zone. I've seen that because I've been in that comfort zone and I've been out of that comfort zone mm. and a couple of times. And I can definitely say, and I think as we get older, we're all, all of us get older. Yeah. The way to fight aging, I think, is my way, is just, you know, I think the people who never get old are the ones who are always learning, always curious. Yes. And I got this huge thing about curiosity. Mm. Curiosity is really interesting, being curious. That's, I think, the sign of sort of keeping yourself that vitality you need. Mm. Once you lose the curiosity, that's it. Might as well die, I think. Yeah. yeah. So you've got operating your businesses, starting them, selling them. And then you've got books, consultancy and speaking, which is almost like, advising on the business yeah. and I know they're linked because I, I have the same thing in my companies what do you prefer do you prefer creating the baby growing it or do you prefer um, teaching others how to create their baby I like them all funny enough for, for a long time after especially when I saw Skinny Candy I was only doing the speaking and the writing and people would be like are you going to start something and I was like well to be honest with you, I really miss it I mm. miss rolling my sleeves up you know getting involved you know once you're used to that in real retail in sort of you know, bricks and mortar mm. commerce. And then I, but I didn't want to start something. And then just by serendipity, again, something here, is this guy approached me after I spoke saying, listen, I've got this company called Change Please and we hire homeless people. I was like, brilliant, I love this company. And he said, I need help on coffee. I've, you know, I want someone who's grown a coffee brand. So again, serendipity hit because I was looking for something. I knew I missed it. I knew I missed it. So I love it now because I love the speaking and I love sharing and I learn a lot from sharing my story and I genuinely believe that in big companies you need to sort of activate this kind of startup sort of gene but I also then missed it so it sort of comes to you eventually I think mm. I, I need a bit of both yeah okay so that's a very diplomatic answer wasn't it if you had to no, choose one no it wouldn't you'd, you'd because I, I did before I was I was just doing this I absolutely love the speaking yeah genuinely I, I love the meeting people the access it gives me yeah. the idea of I, I love being on stage I love sharing I get a lot out of it and, but I also missed the commerce, so now I've got that. For a long time, I didn't have the sort of commercial thing between Selling Skinny and 2007, and now for a long time, I haven't had that. So I love being back there again. Mm. Yeah. When you sold Skinny Candy the second time, you must have learned a lot from selling Coffee Republic. Yeah, no, I made so, the same mistake again. Oh, did you? <laughs> okay. So what yeah, were the yeah, mistakes? Yeah. yeah. No, do you know, I kind of, I sold to a big company, and I thought it'll be fine. You know, I sort of trusted, and... Well, I didn't realize that they were in the process of sale themselves. So they then got, but then 2008 happened, So it just I think. got swallowed up. Yeah, it? got swallowed up by another company. So, um, but I, I don't know. Yeah, I just kind of don't think about it too much. That was an experience. 
learn from that. But yeah. Um, yeah, and I also kind of one thing I did learn about skinny candy is I like selling directly to consumers. It's very difficult when you're selling through a third part when you have goods and you're sort of yeah. selling to the very difficult buyer at Tesco's or something. Because yeah. the experience I didn't enjoy that much. Yeah. So it sounds you like you're very self aware. You know what works for you, what yes, you love to yes. do, and you and know. I know what I'm what good not, at as well, yeah. and I'm what I know what I'm really bad at, and I try to stay away from that. Yeah. How, yeah. how much life experience or how long do you think it took you to get that self-awareness? Got a while. I, th yeah. I think, yeah, I think it takes a couple of knocks and a couple of mistakes. Yeah. I think even, to be honest, when I left Coffee I had no idea. It was really when I, where anyone could do it in yeah. um, 2002, a bit more, but still not enough. Yeah. So you just, you're learning the whole time, hopefully. Yeah. And just, you know, it is like a business you're about yourself. I think you're adapting and tweaking and... I think what we need to realize is very much, I think, in our parents' generation, our grandparents' generation, it was like you did something and then you plateaued and that was fine. I think the way we live, it's constantly adapt, tweak, yeah. it's like plateau a bit, start again. And that's the whole, that constant reinvention is what yeah. we need. We need to constantly reinvent ourselves because we've got so much more stimulation. We're so much more aware of what's going on. We're so much more connected. Yeah. So being disconnected is just impossible now. Mm. Yeah, it's funny because my mum always said to me um, when I was in my 20s that I'd know myself a bit more in my 30s. And then when I got into my 30s, she said, you know, you'll probably enjoy your 40s. And I, for me, I'd say it took me to get to my early 30s before I built any self-awareness. Yeah, yeah, no, no, Do you absolutely. think it's an age thing or do you think it's an experience thing or maybe both? It's both, yeah, yeah. it's both. I mean, as you age, you know, by definition, you get more experience. Yeah. And you learn about yourself, you get more confident, I think. But it's wonderful, yeah. Mm. It's a journey. Yeah. It's cliche, it's a journey. Yeah, and, and actually some cliches are cliche for a reason, aren't they? Because yeah. they're because they're right. And um Yeah, and kinda of, and I think it's about being true to yourself and I think the difference between our not generation but our world is versus if I think like my dad's world is you weren't allowed to sort of say, I'm not like this, therefore I don't like to do that. Like you never had that luxury because mm. you couldn't really be yourself because it was work, just yeah. work. That's work until you retire. Mm. And I think this idea that everyone is much more like aligning who they are with what they do. Mm. That's just, this is how these new millennials are coming through. But therefore, I think for generations not millennials, it's okay to do that. It's okay to say, I'm actually not really happy in that job, although I've been promoted, it doesn't really suit me. Mm. I come across that a lot in big companies where, for example, someone starts in sales, they're really good at sales. They get promoted, they're not doing sales anymore. And it kills their soul because they love the sale bit. Mm. So it's about being true to yourself. And I think that's a new way of thinking. I think for me, like in my, in my late 40s now, that's sort of something. But, you know, for people even older now, it's, it's, it's a new way of thinking. It's a new way of confidence, a new way of bravery to think. Yeah. I'm going to admit I like to do that and I'm going to try to do it. Mm. And very liberating, isn't it? It to is, To be able to yeah. say, this is who I am and this is what I'm going to do. Yeah, and once you realise you can do that, then it's just like the world is yours in a way. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So if you could go back when you were a lawyer, what advice would you give you to yourself as a lawyer in your 20s? What advice I give myself yeah. as a lawyer? So, you know, I mean, I kind of, I suppose the advice would be like, God, if you're feeling like you're not very good at this and just just go go and go and do something else, there'll be something you're really good mm. at. And what if you said to yourself, oh, but I've done my degree, you know, I've got my job. No, I'm too scared. What would you say to yourself then? Oh, my God. It'd be like, kind of, don't be an idiot. You just can't <laughs> live the rest of your life sort of unhappy and sort of not being able to be yourself. There's somewhere. Yeah. And I genuinely, I just wish I could... Tell everyone, because don't you think it's true that everyone's really good at something? I do. And it's just finding yeah. that and, and just it's sort of, you've got to be like a kind of open as many doors as it takes. Yeah. And I've known a lot of people who've done it much later in life. It just yeah. doesn't matter. It's not age related. 
Mm. It's just a journey you go on you, until you find this is what I love doing. And yeah. it doesn't matter if you find that at 30, at 40, at 50, at 60, at 70. Mm. It just doesn't matter, does it? As long yeah. as you're on that journey of finding that, I think. Yeah. I think it's very refreshing and liberating to hear someone as successful as you say that. Because it's, it's probably easy for us to say we've, we've, you know, we were on our journey and we've had some good highs and, of course, some lows. But people starting out, yeah, you know, how, how do we give them that little bump of courage to go do it? Yeah, and just kind of just go do it. And it just, but and not let, let, they're not, no one else judge you because it's your life. Yeah. And, you know, obviously everyone's, you know, kind of trying to always judge you and say this is, you know, no one else knows. You know, I have this issue with mentoring people. I never mentor ideas because people say to me, is that a good idea? I'm like, I don't know. And I think if you go to much better entrepreneurs than me, if you go to Howard Schultz of Starbucks, he still wouldn't know if that's a good idea. Only you know. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So just kind of, it's just very much so trusting yourself and going on that journey yourself. Mm. Because only, only you know what's, what's the right thing. Yeah. I think, I mean, if there's a point I'd really like to hit home is this uniqueness. Everyone has something that they're great at. We were just talking about some of the photos back here and John Demartini there, who you, you didn't know who he was. And um, for me, he's the guy that knows more than anyone on the planet about general human behaviour. And um, he taught me probably six years ago, he said, everybody on this planet is a unique genius. Yeah. No one person as, is the same as the other. Therefore, we're all completely different. Therefore, we're all unique. Therefore, we're all better than anyone else on the planet at being ourselves. And therefore, yeah. we are all a unique genius. And what we do is pedestalise perceived geniuses, you know, Einstein absolutely, or people like absolutely. that. But, the, but, you know, there's someone who's a genius at computer games. There's someone who's a genius at camera work. There's someone who's a absolutely. genius at podcast, radio speaking to whatever and um, honoring yourself enough to a keep searching till you find it and then b when you find it believe that you do have this thing absolutely it's quite uh, maybe they should teach that a bit more in school i know and kind of, and the point is i think where you're happiest at where you're in the flow where time flies that's where you're really good at yeah you know and that kind of for me i kind of i just you could tell if just if i'm not enjoying if i'm really bored Obviously, I'm actually doing a really dreadful job at it yeah. as well. Yeah. So let's carry on the theme of what advice would you give to yourself? The day after you've sold Co Coffee Republic, what would you go back and say to yourself? Uh, well, well, I said, God, oh, what a mistake. I wish I, no, I'd like to go back the day before. Oh, OK, go on. Then. Go back the, the day, day before. After. Yeah, completely. Don't do it. Like, okay. You love this business. You started it. Blood, sweat and tears with one signature. Don't give it away to some people who don't care about it. Did you need the money at that point? No. 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 So what was the thought process beyond selling? Was that the thought process was businesses grow and they don't need entrepreneurs anymore. That startup is a phase to right. grow out of, which is yeah. the title of my coming up very nicely to my third and, talk. And do you, do you now believe that or not? Yeah, so, so this is kind of what I believe. is actually, it's a phase you need to fight very hard to preserve. It's not something you grow out of. Yeah. Therefore, if you can keep your entrepreneurs, you know, you hear it. Um, I wrote an article recently about you know, founders going back, you know, kind of Michael Dell went back, how much of the Starbucks went back, although he's now left. But, you know, it's sort of you want to keep that customer focus, which often businesses start with. So a couple of more questions. I know that you've um, got a bit of uh, a way to travel. I just want to say thanks for coming down to do this. It's always a pleasure. Really, really be. grateful to you. Thank you. This podcast is called The Disruptive Entrepreneur. What does the word disruptive mean to you? Oh my God, you've actually asked, I've just actually come across, it's very interesting what the word disruptive means to me. I think we put the word disruptive slightly, again, on a, on a pedestal. Mm. And if you're trying to disrupt, it's a really difficult onus to put on yourself. So trying to disrupt is almost like trying to be perfect. It's just difficult, right? Yeah. 
So the way I see it is this great quote I came across at Amazon, which I actually just shared earlier. So Amazon's motto, which, I mean, who's a bigger disruptor than Amazon? They say, we don't seek to disrupt, we seek to delight. Because they focus on delighting. Mm. So for them, in a way, disruption is a side effect of delighting. Mm. So my point to you, I think, about the title of your wonderful being the disruptive entrepreneur is you become the disruptive entrepreneur when you go after your own heart, after mm. your own bliss. Yeah. When you use your reservoir of talent, when you love what you do, when you're focused on your customer, mm. then you disrupt. Mm. Disruption, therefore, it's a bit like money. It's a sort of, it's a side effect. It's something that comes with it. Yeah. It's not something you seek. Mm. Yeah, because I guess being disruptive for the sake of it. Um, it's a difficult thing. I want to yeah. be disruptive. Like, yeah. let's disrupt. You know, well, big companies yeah, what, you want to go around and annoy people. You yeah, know? no, <laughs> you know, big companies sit there, how can we disrupt? And yeah. imagine sitting around a meeting, how can you disrupt? Well, yeah. it's really difficult. Like, you know, if Amazon sat there, I think, how can we disrupt the book market? It's quite a difficult question. Mm. But thinking, actually, if I'm the customer, oh, I quite like to actually just kind of online and my book will be there the next day. Well, how lovely. Mm. So I mean, and get it at a great price. Yeah. Then, then you end up disrupting. So that's, I think something I love love about the word disruption. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to make um, the word disruptive retro cool again. Because it's like in America, it's almost like done its bit now. Because yeah, it yeah, was, yeah, yeah. Because I think your point, you know, being disruptive for the sake of it, let's go and attack this industry and yeah, let's yeah, disrupt yeah, it. And, you know, TechCrunch disrupts. Almost, so much so there's a um, TV series, a comedy called um, Silicon Valley. I love it. I love it as well. I've not many, met many people who watch that. You should watch it if you're listening. Oh, my God. It's and fantastic. they just take the mickey out of being yeah, yeah. disruptive oh the God, whole time, so don't good. they? So it's kind of it's overdone so in America, good. so I'm trying to bring it back. Yeah, like, no, no, no. I, thought, I think it's very good to disrupt the entrepreneur because you're disrupting. You know, it's just kind of just, again, disruptive is being out of your comfort zone. Mm. You can't disrupt when you're in your comfort zone. No, sure. Right, so I'd love for everyone to know about your books and where to go. And we need to get your Twitter followers up, Please, you said. Actually, so let's do all that as well. Also. Yeah, so what's your Twitter? How can we follow so, you? Um, at Sahar Has, so my name. Do you want to spell it? Um, so S, uh, sorry, uh, uh, whatever, S-A-H-A-R. H-A-S. Right. So my full name, but just kind of, yeah, a bit cut off. So yeah. Sahar has. So okay. Sahar has. So. And then the, you've written three books, is that right? Or yeah, yeah. Yeah. And kind of like just the third one, I'm just finishing a startup forever. Okay. So and if anyone works kind of anywhere, if you see Change Please Coffee, please go and buy a coffee from us. So it's called Change Please, please Coffee. coffee. Yeah. Well, if I'm in London, I will risk not having a Costa. Yeah, yeah. Which I didn't yeah. want to mention that till uh, now. You might not have wanted to do the interview. Okay, so Change Please Coffee. And then your first book was Anyone Can anyone Do It? Anyone Can Do It, yeah. Which I've read. And then your second book? Switched On. Switched but on. But I'm not, now I kind of want Switched On to be kind of replaced by Startup Forever, which I'm right. happier about. Okay. It's been a pleasure. Lovely. Thank you, Rob. Thank Perfect. you. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Perfect. Rob again, stay with me here because I've got a gift for you. I get asked for these a lot and I thought, well, I'll, I'll leverage my time and yours and I will put these four things I get asked a lot into a free gift for you. So if you go to tiny.cc forward slash Rob's report, then what I've done is I've written for you an article on the top 21 apps I use to create the mobile lifestyle. I've written an article on the 14, my most favorite educational, inspirational, informative documentaries of the you know, most inspiring people in the world. I've written uh, which ones they are and a synopsis of each one. I'm very well known for having lots of very specific goals, detailed vision values. So I'm sharing with you my particular document I use, I've PDF'd it for you. 
and also the fastest ways I know to make money for startup and scale-up entrepreneurs. So I've written an article and a detailed report on each one. I've put them all into one, and all you have to do is go to tiny.cc forward slash Rob's report. You get those for free. I'll never ask anything from you, spam. I'll never spam you, never sell to you. And then also once a week, I'll send you a new article or a new video content that's a bit different that maybe you wouldn't get normally from the Disruptive Entrepreneur podcast. So I hope you find that useful. Remember, if you don't risk anything, you risk everything. Thank you.